Crispin here on the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. Hey, before I get into the announcement of today's podcast, I just want to make a note that the last couple of weeks we have not posted the podcast, and that was due in part to my losing the disc with the files on them. So as soon as we hunt that down, assuming that the disc didn't get washed in the washing machine, we will post those messages. Uh, But today's message, today's audio is from Penny Murray speaking on October 20th at our church. And the title of this message is Bringing the Light. This is the Gospel of John, part 48. Good stuff in here. So let's head to the talk. North Shore Vineyard Church, downtown Covington. Thanks for listening. Oh, hey guys, good morning. Uh, I'm really surprised to see y'all. I'm assuming you forgot Crispin was down the street playing gospel and eating tacos sounds like a good deal on a Sunday morning. Um, but no, I'm really I'm happy to see y'all. Uh, I wanted to tell y'all <clears throat> about something that happened to us a few weeks ago. Brian and I were in New Orleans for a concert, and we had a hotel room in the city. My mom had the kids, so just, just having a good time. And before the show, we had decided to go out to dinner and uh, meet Brian's sister and her husband. So happened to be close enough we could walk. And we set off down Canal Street, just having a good time. And then I noticed this guy a little ways up ahead. He's sitting on the sidewalk at the intersection, and he's wearing this very colorful umbrella hat. Unique sense of fashion, but you see that sort of thing in New Orleans. This is that kind of city. And uh, we keep going, and we get closer, and then I notice that he's holding a bullhorn in his lap. That's odd. And then about the time we get to the intersection, the light changes and we're stuck there waiting to cross. And it's at that moment that the man lifts the bullhorn to his face and he begins to yell at us. And he starts to talk about God. And he starts to talk about how much God just despises all of us standing there. And he's very angry and he's coming and he's coming soon. And he's going to rain down fire and destruction on all of us. And I'm kind of like, whoa, geez, I, I hope we have time to eat because I'm really hungry. Um, geez, God's coming and he's mad. And I start to look around at the other pedestrians. And we make eye contact. And everyone has these awkward smirks on their face. It's like part amusement, part embarrassment, part this is really weird. And everyone's kind of looking at each other. And I'm thinking, that's not the effect this guy's hoping for, is he? Um, I don't think that's what he's going for. So as we're standing there, held hostage, and he's still yelling, I start to have all these questions come to mind. Like, is this effective? Does this do anything? Does anyone respond to this? Because everyone I'm looking at seems to think this guy's a joke. And what if... What if there was somebody standing here who had spiritual abuse in their past or was carrying around a lot of religious baggage? What would this man's words do to somebody like that? I mean, wouldn't that just push you further away from God? I mean, can this actually change hearts and minds? Or is the best you could hope for just submission and control out of a sense of fear? And what about this guy? What's going on in his mind? Does he love this God that he's yelling about? 
does he even really hear what he's saying about him? I mean, does he really hear it? And it's about that time that I stop and I look back over at him and notice that underneath his very colorful umbrella hat, he's wearing these ginormous headphones to block out the sound of his own voice. So no, he actually doesn't even hear what he's saying. And at that point, we walked away. But what has stuck with me, what I've been thinking about, is that the God that this guy was talking about just doesn't sound a whole lot like the God revealed to us through Jesus. And I got to wondering, what if Jesus had been standing there with us at that intersection? And what if he had walked up and grabbed the bullhorn? What would his words have been to us about God? So today, the passage that we're looking at is Jesus' last public interaction before he heads to the cross. And this takes place during the festival of Passover. So we have all of the Jewish people gathered together in the city of Jerusalem to remember the Exodus story. Now, this is the story that gave these people their identity. This is who they are. It's the story of a people who cried out to God, and this God heard their cries, and he intervened, and he liberated them from slavery. This is the story that gave them hope that God would come once again, step into their situation, and free them, and bring justice, and healing, and restoration. And just like they have done year after year after year, the people have gathered once again, and they have remembered this, and they've hoped, and they've waited. And it's with this idea of Passover that Jesus steps up and he has a bit of a first century bullhorn moment. So I'm going to start reading at John chapter 12, verse 44. Then Jesus cried out, Those who believe in me do not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. When they look at me, they see the one who sent me. I have come into the world as light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. As for those who hear my words but do not keep them, I do not judge them. For I did not come to judge the world but to save the world. There is a judge for those who reject me and do not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at that last day. For I do not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. So we see Jesus continuing the statement that he makes all throughout the Gospel of John. And that's if you see him, then you actually see the Father. Now, we have been working through John together as a community for about two years, and I have to tell you that it's this idea, this radical, mesmerizing, beautiful idea that Jesus reveals the heart of God, this is the thing that has stuck with me more than anything else, that through his words, through his actions, through his entire ministry, through the way he interacts with people, all this, It comes together and it paints a picture for us of what God is like. And it's a very different picture than what I saw painted on Canal Street. When we look at this Jesus, when we go through the Gospels, we see a God who dives in 
to creation, who actually enters into it, becomes part of it, no matter the cost, no matter the mess that we've made of things. We don't see a God who's given up on humanity. He actually becomes one of us. He experiences everything that we have experienced. He's even suffering everything we suffer. He walks with us. He joined us. He ate with us. He even goes so far to die as one of us. From beginning to end, he experiences the full spectrum of what it means to be human. And we don't see him yelling at random strangers. What we see is him loving people who were told, no, you can't be loved by God because of who you are or what you've done or what's been done to you. This God, through Jesus, actually hangs out not just with Jews, but with Gentiles, with tax collectors, with prostitutes, with the broken, with the suffering, with the jaded and the cynical, the religious elite, and those who have been cast off by religion. And he comes critiquing the systems of power that oppress and harm and control, and he offers something else in their place. He offers forgiveness. He offers acceptance. He offers real justice. And he comes showing us a whole new way to live in the world, a way that says, love your neighbor as yourself. No, let's, let's take it a step up. Let's love our enemies. Let's do good to those that harm us. Let's turn the other cheek. What this adds up to is Jesus saying, hey, the way you love God, it's tied directly to how you love everyone. You can't separate this. This is, this is directly tied. So no, we don't see Jesus coming to pour fire on people. He comes rushing towards us to actually grab hold and pull us out of the fires we're already in. This God isn't running away from us. He's actually running towards us. So the challenge in this passage is, can we believe this picture of God? Can we accept this? Because just like Crispin said last week, this was not easy. People were not willing or ready to accept this picture of God. And I'm, I'm just not sure that it's any easier for us today. I mean, can we actually believe that this man who walked the streets of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago is the fullest revelation of the creator of the universe? Because he's saying that his words are the words that the Father told him to say, every last one. And if you can accept this, these words will lead to real life, right now, abundant life that starts here and just keeps on going. So what was the purpose then? What's, what's the point of all this? What is his agenda? Why would he come and grab hold of us and claim solidarity with us? This passage tells us that he came to bring light, that he came to lead us out of our darkness, that he did not come to judge. He came to save the world. This Jesus is about healing. He's about reconciliation. He's about forgiving and loving people out of their darkness. This God comes to turn on the light. Now, 
the theologian Sharon Baker, she takes this picture of light that Jesus talks about and she ties it directly to the idea of biblical justice and how that's how God saves us. She says that Jesus and the redemption and restoration brought to us through his acts of justice and righteousness appear as a light shining in the darkness. That justice and love work together with one purpose, and that is to reconcile us to God. That love unleashed fosters forgiveness, and that forgiveness looses us from slavery to sin, and it sets us free to enter into a relationship with God. That without justice, darkness prevails, and we grope around, separated from God. Justice is actually doing righteousness and mercy. And that when we see justice as redemptive and restorative, it reveals justice in a new light, a redemptive light that breaks through the darkness of violence and oppression, retribution, and vengeance. And I just, I love the picture that that paints of God's justice. But what about the judgment part? I mean, there was that bit about how if we reject Jesus' words, then those words are going to turn around and judge us. What's that part? Okay, I'm going to tell you how I understand this. When I was eight years old, my family lived in West Texas. So in the summer, especially, because it was very hot, you had to go outside and start your car like five, ten minutes early before you went anywhere, or you would die. So my parents, who were very young, realized they could train me to do this, which, that was awesome. This was like a great privilege. I get to start the car. I felt so grown up. This was a big deal. So one morning, they throw me the keys, right, send me out to start the car. But this time when I start the car, I took it a step further, and I put the car in reverse. Okay, so now the car is gently rolling down the driveway, and I kind of panic. So here's what I do. I'm like, okay slam the brake. So I lift my little foot up, throw it down, and I did it three times because it didn't work the first time. Each time I hit the gas. So now the car has rolled down the driveway, flew across the street, up into my neighbor's yard, and into my neighbor's house. So while that's happening, my mom, my very pregnant mom, has come running outside chasing the van. But when the van hit the house, this threw the van into drive. So now I'm chasing my mom. Somehow, before I could run over my mom, I put the van into park. I get out of the van. I'm screaming. The neighbor has come rushing out of his house to figure out why there's a van, you know, croaching into his living room. My mom's upset. It's, it's quite the scene. So... Once everything calms down, of course, I'm asked by my parents, what happened? I mean, what happened? Okay, I'm eight years old. I have driven a van illegally under the age. I have crashed it into my neighbor's house, and I've nearly killed my mom. What am I going to say? Oh, dude, I'm going to lie. Okay, so I, I thought this was a rather good lie. I said, oh, well, I, I stood up to get out of the van, and it's at that point my elbow slipped and hit the gear shift. That's believable, right? Okay, my mom knows me. Penny, oh, come on. Just, just tell us what happened. Just tell us. 
okay, I've done all these things, now I've lied? You think I'm going to come clean? I mean, this, oh no, I stuck to my story, which I was very good at. And she just kept on trying to pull me out of it because she knew what this lie was going to do to me. She's like, we're, we're just trying to help you here. Just tell us what really happened. Went on and on. I wouldn't come clean. I wouldn't give in. But here's the thing. This lie just started to, like, eat at me. I felt shame and embarrassment and guilt, and my pride was hurt. But I didn't want to come tell the truth now because now I'm going to be in even more trouble, right? Like, this, this just keeps growing. I, there's no way you can come clean now because it's going to be bad. I keep this up for months. And, you know, every day I thought about this, and I felt this separation from my mom, but I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't talk to her until finally I couldn't. I just couldn't do it anymore. So I go to my mom, sit her down, and I tell her the story of what really happened. And then I'm like bracing myself, like, okay, here comes the judgment, right? Here, come, here it comes. And she just looks at me with sadness and love, and she's going, oh, Penny, we knew. We knew you were lying. We knew this was hurting you. We tried to help you. I mean, that whole time, my mom is coming at me with love, trying to get me out of this, but I refuse to trust the love of my mom. And I think this is how it works with God, that when we refuse to step into his light, we experience the alternative, and that's darkness. When we refuse to let the love of God enter into our lives and change us. When we refuse to let the love of God enter in and deal with the evil that we have experienced, when we refuse to let the love of God face the evil that we have all participated in, when we refuse to let that light deal with the brokenness that we've all experienced in life, when we refuse to let it deal with our pride, our anger, our shame, or even just how when we let our own desires rule our lives. When we refuse to let it deal with how we have ignored or are just indifferent to the systems of oppression in this world. When we live in fear instead of the light of his love. Yes, we experience a judgment. There are consequences for this and we've all experienced this. But it does not have to be this way. We don't have to live lives in opposition to God's love because all he's asking us to do is step into that light. Now, I will say this. It feels really scary to step into the light. Light can be overwhelming. It can be incredibly blinding. And I'm sorry, I'm just not dying to reveal certain things about myself. And I think that's all of us. We have things that we want to hide. We have brokenness. We have incredible disappointments. We have regrets. We have pain. I, I just want to keep that over here in the dark. I don't really want to see it. I'm not dying for you to see it. really don't want to talk about this with God, right? That's all scary stuff. But if we can deal with this passage, if we can accept that Jesus actually reveals to us who God is, and we think about what Jesus was like, then guess what? We're safe to step into that light. The writer Donald Miller says that to the degree we are willing to be ourselves, 
is the degree to which we can honestly feel loved. So while it can feel very risky to accept that God is actually like Jesus, when we do that, we know we are safe with him, that we are safe to reveal and deal with anything in our lives that we need to deal with. That God has this love for us that he wants us to experience. And that is the only way we can truly experience the full extent that God has for us. I'm going to close in prayer, guys. God, we come to you and we ask that you let Jesus change our picture of you. We ask that any picture that we might have of you that does not line up with the picture we find in Jesus, God, we ask that you burn it up in the light of your love. Help us to open up to you and allow your light to shine into the dark places in our hearts, our minds, our relationships, and our communities. Help us to surrender them to you. Help us to step into your light. We ask that as individuals and as a community, we could reflect your life that is your justice, your love, and your grace, and your healing and truth. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Thanks, guys. If um, you need anyone to pray with you this morning, uh, we have people on the prayer team who would be happy to do that. So just come on forward or go get some tacos because that's where I'm headed. So thank you. I was saying.